0: Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now, we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Good morning, Way Church family. All right, you can have a seat. Uh, my name is Mark Stevens. I'm part of the teaching team here at the Way. I'm going to raise this up. Uh, my wife Barbara and I were uh, missionaries with the International Mission Board for 22 years, uh, mostly in Southeast Asia, and then for the last two and a half years. Ooh. Okay. Um, uh, and then uh, we've the last two and a half years have been uh, training new missionaries as they go out uh, here in Virginia. So uh, this morning, we're going to continue in the series, Turned. Um, We've seen that God is forever faithful. and He loves his people. Uh, He keeps his promises. We can trust him. But Israel is asking the question, so why are we not receiving covenant blessings? And so the answer is that, that Israel had turned from God. And Malachi is really a conversation that's happening between God through the prophet to Israel, Judah, uh, saying how they have turned from the covenant, and he's now asking them, to, calling them to repent and turn back to him. And then we also see in Malachi, we'll see later in Malachi, where he talks about the future and the coming Messiah and also uh, the end times. But so far, what we have is. Uh, in chapter one and going into chapter two, we seen God's love and faithfulness to Israel, Judah, but then also the, we see the first way that Israel's turned was the priests had been corrupted, the priesthood, and so they were offering worthless worship. Remember from last week, uh, um, well, let me ask you that if we don't usually do it this way, this way I like to do it. What do you remember from last week? What was what was some ways that would be Why was it worthless worship? What do you remember? Lame animals, that's right. That was one of them. That Basically, they're offering their worst to the Lord in sacrifice. Um, Also, the the priesthood had began where they were... The priests were actually causing people to stumble and not actually helping people but causing them to stumble. So, God is a great king. And we are to honor his name. He, he is, his name should be great among the nations. Israel was for the purpose of actually so that the nations around would see and then come and worship God, would join in the covenant with God. Um, if you see this in the context of all the scripture, I always like to lay out, where is Malachi uh, in the context of all of the scripture. Malachi, by the way, is at the end of the Old Testament, so it's the last book. So if you want to find Malachi, we'll be in Malachi chapter 2 today. You can go to Matthew and go back one. So it's the very last book in the Old Testament. But what is God about? What is he, what is he trying to do? Um, God is about his glory among the nations. Um, it says in several places in the Old Testament that uh, God's glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. So how much of the sea is covered with water? <laughs> okay, water and sea are the same thing, right? So how much of the water covers with sea is it's the same. The point is that the earth will be filled with the glory of God. And why did God create us? Why did he create you? For his glory. We were created, Colossians tells us we were created by God and for God. The whole purpose why you were created, why I was created, was for the glory of God, was for him. We were created for him. And so when we don't live for him and for his purposes, we miss out on our purpose in life. And we always feel like there's just something missing, right? Because we were created for him and to glorify him, and that his glory would cover the earth as the water covered the sea. Uh, We were created so that we would love him, and worship him, obey him, and then bring about his glory among all of the nations. And from the very beginning, that was the purpose of people. Uh, But we know what happened. The fall happened, right? Adam and Eve, first humans, they actually chose to go their own way. And sin. And God is a holy God, and he does not allow sin in his presence. And so because of their sin, uh, people are separated from God. That very purpose of which we have been created. Um, so, and so now we have this nature, actually, a desire for sin. Uh, but what, what God did is he started a nation. actually started with one person. Do you remember the person of who he started with back in Genesis? Who was the one person from him? He'd start a nation, Israel. Who was that one person? Abraham, that's right. So from Abraham, he's the father of faith. He trusted God. He focused on the Lord. Uh, He then starts a nation that would love and obey him and would be about his glory among the nations. Um, And so Abraham, he believed God. And God promised to bring uh, blessing through the nation, to the nations from, from Abraham. Um, but this nation that did start, Israel, um, who was the king, the first king? It was God. God was actually the king f- for a good bit of time. But, and they were supposed to, they were put in the center of the nations so that the other nations would see that is why we call Israel is the uh, middle. And so if it's just east of the middle, then it's called the Middle East. And that's why we get the Middle East today. It's because Israel is considered the center. And so all the other nations are then able to see Israel. It's supposed to be then that they would bring glory to God. And by what they do in the community, the kingdom community, they show the love and obedience to God and Glorify Him and take that to the other nations, and that the other nations would be attracted and would join in covenant with God, and that they'd eventually then the the earth would cover uh, the glory of God would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. But Israel was very bad at keeping the covenant, as we all know, right? And so they were always breaking it. Um, and this was actually the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, when we try on our own to do what is right, we fail. But the difference is that in the New Testament, we have the Spirit of God in us, and it's only through him as we live by the Spirit that we can actually accomplish all that which God has accomplished and asked us to accomplish. So Israel, though, was very bad at keeping it. It was to show, too, that they, they couldn't do it on their own, that a, and in the New Testament, apart from him, apart from God, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. He really means that. It's only by his spirit that we can do anything. Uh, so eventually, though, Israel, they continue to break the covenant. They, they eventually even asked for a human king. The first king, human king then was Saul. But then they got David. And David was a man after God's heart. He was, it says it was filled with the spirit. And so he was able to show then an example of what could be done. But then there came Solomon. And Solomon did good in the beginning, but then because he married these foreign wives, and what that means is that the foreign wife had another god. Uh, All the foreigners had different gods, and so they started bringing in other gods, and so that actually pulled Solomon's heart away. And so because of that, God split Um, Israel into two parts Israel and Judah and so we have the divided kingdom eventually though both of those ends up getting sent into exile right Uh, why because actually they weren't glorifying God among the nations it says that they were blaspheming God's name among the nations and so he sends them into exile but then Judah returns the other side never did so Judah became Israel um, and is was Israel after that, and so that's why you'll see when we read in Malachi, it talks a lot about Judah, that um, they return to the land, they now have the temple rebuilt, but then we see they're going astray again, and, and so we see the prophets, the purpose of the prophets was two things, it was to say that here's the standard of God, the plumb line of truth, and if, you, if they get off, then the prophet would then speak and say to come back to the, whatever the truth is, the plumb line of truth is. And also they would tell about what's coming in the future. So you have foretelling and foretelling. Uh, so this is what we see here in Malachi. Um, but thankfully, the, the Bible does not end with just the Old Testament, right? We see in the New Testament what comers, comes after 400 years after Malachi is that Jesus comes. God himself comes, in human flesh, because we can't do anything to save ourselves. We all know that our sin has separated us from God, and the wages of sin is what? Death. It should be that when we sin, the result should be, the rightful punishment should be death. That's the wages of sin is death. But Jesus came, God in flesh came and he took our penalty for us. He took our death, and that's why he died on the cross. To save us from our sin, he took the penalty for our sin so that our sins could be forgiven. And he then gives us his spirit so then that we can now, truly, if we, when we live by the spirit, then we don't give in to the desires of the flesh, and we can honor him, we can love him, we can obey him, and we are all-consuming passion that is for his glory everywhere. Um, so what's, what I always think is fascinating about Jesus is that he fulfills over a 100 prophecies of what the Messiah was supposed to be. And what's fascinating about that is, is we, we see some of those, we'll run through, in some of these through Malachi, um, very detailed things. If I was to tell you, like Malachi would have been 400 years before Jesus, there were some of the prophets even a 1,000 years before Jesus, if I was going to ask you, give me details of what's going to happen 1,000 years from now. Could we do it? We don't even have a clue of what it might look like, right? But God was using the prophets, saying what was coming before. Over 100 prophecies with very specific details of how Jesus would be born, how he lived, how he would die. Specific details of even that by th- he would be betrayed by a friend by 30 pieces of uh, uh, silver. I mean, just very minute details. And this, to me, is always a huge comfort that we, we have some of the texts called the Qumran texts, actually from before the time of Jesus. to talk about... What the prophets were saying was coming from even before the time of Jesus. And tell us what the Messiah was going, who he was going to be and what he was going to do. And so much so that Israel couldn't figure out exactly, they thought there might be two and maybe even three people that would, in order to fulfill all of the different prophecies because he was supposed to be a king and he was supposed to be suffered and killed. And so how does this work together? And so they came up with different theories, two or maybe three, but Jesus fulfilled every one of them but statistically not even possible to fulfill all of them. And Jesus fulfilled it. And this is why we know it's true. And why the other prophecies that we hear about is the coming uh, of his second coming and what will be at the end times we know is true. Because he's already fulfilled what is statistically impossible to do. But Jesus came, he died on the cross, he fulfilled all of the prophecies. And... He has now ascended back to heaven, and he's given us his spirit, and he's coming again. And so right now, we're in the age of what's the church, and the church has a new covenant. That's why, you know, it's called the Old Testament, Old Covenant, and the New Testament, the New Covenant, so Old Covenant, New Covenant. And so we have a new covenant, which is in the blood of God, or the blood of Christ, And we have been made new, we've been born again uh, because we have placed our trust and our faith in what Jesus has done. And we receive the Holy Spirit so we can obey. But now the people of God, the church, become examples to the world and we take his glory to the world, right? We go to other nations so that he can, uh, so they can hear the gospel, so that in the end, the the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And that's why we just had a group get back from a mission trip to Puerto Rico and why we're helping people in different countries, trying to do different church plants, even here in the United States. But the purpose of, this, of the church then is, is to love God and then co- coming from that, we love others and make disciples. That's why you'll see our, our mission statement from the church. That's what we're about. Um, love God, and we are about his glory everywhere. So we're loving others, and we're making disciples of everybody. But we, we can only do this as we live in the Spirit. We can only do this through him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Uh, but we are now the, this kingdom community that's to demonstrate God's love. And so when people come into the church and are first saved... We all have sin, right? We still all do. But this is a gathering of people who have had struggles and problems and all of that, and we come together, and Christ has transformed us, and we're in the process of being made more and more like Christ, and so we help one another. Um, So uh, we know that in the end, though, that Christ is coming back, and everyone will be judged, and we're all going to stand before him. And it's only a matter of, did we truly trust in what Christ did? And how, he, how we know for sure is he's given us the Spirit. The Spirit is that deposit guaranteeing our inheritance in the future. So, um, and then there will be a new heaven and a new earth, where God will truly reign. Um, and where this new heaven, new earth, the the whole earth will be full of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Okay, so that's, I've just basically covered the whole Bible for you in just a few minutes here from Genesis to Revelation, right? But I wanted us to get a context for where we are in Malachi. We're going to be in Malachi chapter two, um, verses 10 through 16, and we're going to talk about the broken covenant today. Um, So, Think of this is the remnant of Judah who has returned, and they're now breaking the covenant again. And so that's where we are in this context. We've already seen that God is faithful, that God is the one who created us all. He's faithful. We've seen also that the the priests were actually corrupting worship. And then this is the second thing of which they've done wrong. He's going to specifically deal with uh, the people and that they've broken covenant also. So let's read in Malachi chapter 2. We'll read verse 10 first. Don't all of us have one father? Didn't one God create us? Why then do we act treacherously against one another, profaning the covenant of our ancestors? All right. So let's um, just stop there for a second. There is one father, one God, right? Okay, he's the one over us all. And so what we see that they are profaning the covenant, they have broken the covenant. So how have they broken or profaned the covenant? Uh, In verse 11 and 12 here. Judah has acted treacherously, and a detestable act has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's sanctuary, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, whoever he may be, even if he presents an offering to the Lord of armies. Okay, so what we see happening here is they have broken covenant, profaned the covenant, and how? Well, first, they've married the daughters of foreign gods. I mean, they've married people outside of Israel, they were married people who who are worshiping foreign gods. And so God had commanded them that they are only to marry Israelites, only to marry people who were part of the covenant with God. And if they married someone outside of the covenant, then it would draw them away. And we saw that happen with Solomon. As Solomon had brought on more and more wives that were people, uh, wives who were um, um, worshiping other gods, it actually drew him away. And God knows that that would happen to Israel as well, so he told them only to marry from within the covenant, people from within the covenant. But there are some who um, have married foreign wives, and, and that, but they still think they're okay because they keep giving the offerings and they do all the religious trappings, right? But God um, said that, that he doesn't accept those offerings, because they have broken the, and profaned the covenant. So he's calling them to repent. Um, so how do we apply this? This is still the Old Testament. Uh, now it's not a matter of you know, different nations or whatever, but how do we apply this today? Well, we are to marry within the covenant, which means believers, Christians. Okay, so why would that be important? Why would it be important for, as a Christian, as someone who's truly following Christ, that we marry somebody else who is also truly following Christ? What might happen? What do you think? We could be pulled away, that's right. And and so in the same way, so we, we would marry someone who's truly, and not just someone who claims to be a Christian, but truly is being a Christian, right? Because... Uh, There's always going to be enough struggles in marriage, but if you have two different focuses, because if you're not a believer in Christ, your focus is your own self, my own desires, my own pleasures. But in Christ, then, we have changed, and we're about God's glory and about his kingdom coming. We seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so this is important for us as well. Okay, then we see uh, in verse 13, another way that they have broken covenant. Uh, this is another thing you do in verse 13. You're covering the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer respects your offering or receives them gladly from your hands. And you ask, why? Because even though the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, you have acted treacherously against her. She was your marriage partner and your wife by covenant. Didn't God make them one and give them a portion of the Spirit? What does the one seeking mean, the one being God? Godly offspring. So watch yourselves carefully so that no one acts treacherously against the wife of his youth. Verse 16, if he hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, he covers his garment with injustice, says the Lord of armies. Therefore, watch yourself carefully and do not act treacherously. Okay, so what's the second way that they have broken the covenant here? What what do you see? Okay, divorce. Yeah, it's actually. Oops. When I step forward, I get a rebrand. I need to learn to step back here. Um, Yeah, they they are they're not being faithful, and one example of that was divorce, and so. we see that they've broken the covenant of marriage. And what is that? Okay, and we're gonna talk through this. What is it about divorce? We're also gonna talk about that we're all sinners and that how do we minister to those who are divorced, okay? But first, we're gonna start. What, why, what, what is marriage and what's the purpose of marriage? What do you think? You guys tell me. What's the purpose of marriage? Why do we even get married? It's just a lot of work, right? So, why do we get married? There's several different reasons that we marry. Um, one is uh, for companionship. One is uh, economic reasons, but uh, um, procreation. There's different things. But the main thing is that, that marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. And it is supposed to be a picture of what Christ uh, is with the church. So uh, we see in Ephesians 5... This picture, right? It's actually looks like it's talking about husbands and wife, and then he says, but I'm really talking about the church because the husband-wife relationship is actually to be a picture of of the church. And so um, we see that Christ, he's God, and his bride, the church, he is God, loves his own. He cares for and shows concern to the church. And he gives up up of himself for the church. And then the bride, the church, is to submit to him, to obey him, meaning they're placing their authority under Christ, and show respect and honor to him. Okay? And so in the same way um, that that picture is the picture in marriage that we see in Ephesians 5, it goes on to talk about that the husband... This is the one flesh, right? And the husband is to love the wife and give up sacrificially for the wife. Care for and nourish the wife and the wife then is to submit, putting herself under authority and give respect to the husband, right? So it's a picture, what we see in the husband-wife relationship is a picture of, of Christ in the church. And um, we see that God made us male and female, right? All of us are in made in the image of God. But what we see, uh, even from the beginning in Genesis, that uh, this is Genesis two twenty four that there the man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Matthew uses those same verses and then goes on to say, "What God has joined together." Let no one pull asunder or separate. And so this is a picture of actually one flesh. We become one. And actually what we saw here in Malachi is that when we see this covenant of marriage that actually God gives a portion of his spirit there in verse 15. We makes us one. Okay? And so you become One. And then there, it is. we have this picture then of, of God's relationship with the church is what we see in marriage. So um, when, what happens, though, is that in this case, we see that they were not being faithful in their marriage covenant. So that could in, include adultery um, uh, and the broken covenant, but also in here it includes includes uh, the example of divorce, that men were divorcing their wives and therefore breaking the covenant. What happens is, you have God and you have the husband and wife and there's a covenant together. Um, And so the result is that we now have a covenant with God and with our spouse when we're married. So, and this is until death, Romans 7, right? So that If you can give a certificate of divorce, but before God, you're still married. Okay, So that, Romans 7, if um, someone divorces their wife and then marries another, it's considered adultery because you're still married before the Lord. But if they die and then you marry somebody else, it's not considered adultery because this covenant is until death. Right. This is why we say in, many times in the vows, until death do you part. Right. And so a lot of uh, even our ceremonies uh, are a picture of this covenant. Have you ever realized why do people, why does the bride walk down the middle aisle to do the covenant? Because it's a cutting of a covenant. So a covenant, usually what would happen when you would cut a covenant, there were two things that you would do. You would put all of one person's stuff on one side and all of the other person's stuff on the other side. Or you'd, like if it was animals, you'd split them. This is how they cut a covenant with God in the Old Testament. And then they would walk down the middle. And so, like the Abrahamic covenant, there's a fire. This represents God that walks down the middle, and Abraham is to walk down the middle. And then there's always a meal afterwards. But this is, it. not that everybody does it this way now, um, but the reason why those ceremonies of why we do, you know, the marriage ceremony the way that we do is supposed to represent the covenant. And that you have one side of the family sitting over here and the other side of the family sitting over here, right? And so you're walking down the middle. It's the sign that you're cutting a covenant. And uh, in this case, with a spouse before God. And so, um, and then you, there's a meal, Right? <laughs> Um, so anyway, that's the, the, there's reasons why we do all that we do, and when, when people get married, right? It was a sign. It was it was illustrative of a covenant. And so, uh, what we have here, though, is that the covenant is being broken. Now, there are there are reasons that uh, exceptions given for divorce in the in the New Testament. One is adultery. It means it's already broken, so. Uh, And in that case, uh, it is allowed. And also, if a non-believer leaves. This is 1 Corinthians 7. Um, uh, We actually had this happen to us in one of the countries we worked in. We had a a guy get saved. And when he got saved, his wife divorced him. Took their kids, too. Um, And... In First Corinthians seven, it talks about that if a if someone's trying to still stay married, but the non-believer leaves, they are not bound in that situation. That actually, is the word "bound" is the word that was used to talk about the covenant being held together, and so it's no longer bound. So, in First Corinthians seven, is that one? And also in First Corinthians seven, it gives uh, illustration of. Of, of separation, also. That in this case, it gives the example of of the. It doesn't want you to separate, but if you separate, then it says to be reconciled. Either stay single or be reconciled. In this case, separation would be for things like uh, if someone's being beat, or there's a situation, where there's a life threatening thing for them or their children. And there are exceptions that the Bible allows, but. Why do we fight for marriage, right? Why, why do we fight to keep? Because it's hard. I mean, Barbara and I, when we first got married, uh, it was hard, right? Now, praise the Lord, I have an incredible wife, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She really is. If you know her, you know she is, okay? But it was hard. I was going into ministry. She's going into ministry. It'll be great, right? It'll be easy. No, it's hard because we all bring our own baggage, right? Especially the first couple of years was, you know, difficult. And we struggled to the point of we didn't know if we were going to make it. And I know that that's the testimony of several of you in here. And it's hard. It's a hard thing. Um, But why do we fight for marriage? It's because it's really a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of Jesus in the church. And that... We are going to love somebody no matter if they're not being lovable, right? That's the gospel, right? When did Christ die? Said so Christ died for us, for sinners. Uh, Christ died for us when we were still sinners. Christ, when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, okay? So it was, when, it was when the people were throwing rocks at him, crucifying him, spitting in his face, whipping him, he died for them. Okay, so in marriage, we fight for marriage. Why? Because we're to show the love of Christ. One of the things about being a Christian is we love. It's a fruit of the Spirit. As we live in the Spirit, He helps us to love. And one of the ways that we love, we love people means we're going to look out for what's best for the other person no matter their response. That's love. Because that's what Christ did for us. And that actually is the de- one of the definitions of when you know a disciple The new commandment I've given to you, that you are to love one another just as I have loved you. And this is how people will know that you are my disciple, if you love one another. And so that's John 13, 34 and 35. But the idea is that we love not because this person has given us what we need, right? But we love because Christ has loved us. And we love in the same way that Christ has loved us. So, we, there will never, you will never have a spouse that will meet all your needs. It will be, never be a perfect spouse, all right? My wife comes as close as there is, okay? Uh, okay? But there's no one perfect, right? You will not. You could dream in your head of maybe if I had the perfect spouse. We all come into marriage thinking it'll be wonderful and everybody comes in with baggage, right? And you think, wow, I wasn't expecting that, right? Okay? And everybody has their hangups, and everybody has their own sin that we're in the process of being made more and more in the image of Christ. But that marriage is saying, I'm going to love this person no matter how bad they are, in sickness and in health, right? Until death do we part. And that, that's what marriage, and that pictures the gospel, that pictures Jesus in the church. And that is what the world needs to see. And that our marriages are different than the world. Because most people come into marriage, you come in with desires and what you want out of the marriage. It's for what I get out of the marriage. And the other person comes in with what they get out of the marriage, and it's really hard to be married. <laughs> because everybody's very selfish, right? But in Christ, then we're able to love, not because of we're capable in ourselves of actually loving, but because Christ has loved us. And so we can, we can take that step of faith and love others, even if they, like, they're not meeting my need. But love is patient and kind, right? It doesn't envy, it does not boast, it's not arrogant. I mean, it's not self-seeking, it doesn't seek our own, right? And it does not keep a record of wrong. You know all of these that come out of 1 Corinthians 13, right? This is love. It's thinking of what is the needs of others above our own. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It's an example then of Jesus. That we think of the needs of others above our own. And this is what Christ did for us. He was God. And he didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to but he became a servant, became a man, and even became uh, death on a cross. The cross was the worst way to die. It was considered the most humiliating way to die, and that's what Jesus did for us, and so that's how we love. So that's in marriage what, what we do. It's a picture. Marriage is a picture then of the gospel and of Jesus in the church. So... This is why divorce. Then it it hurts, uh, and so in Luke sixteen eighteen. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. It's because this this we are to fight for marriage, and divorce is actually then a breaking of the covenant. But the thing is, is that. We all are sinners, right? Okay, my dad was a pastor. Okay? I hope this never happens, but my dad was a pastor. He divorced. Think of Josh and Rachel. I hope this would never happen. I don't think it would happen with them, but my, my parents were divorced. My dad divorced my mom. My dad, I always considered him a godly man, but he divorced my mom. I saw the results of that in our family, But does that mean that my dad is now useless? The Lord did, as he does here in this text, call people to repent. My dad, it took a few years, but he did repent. And God used him in ministry in amazing ways after that. He couldn't be a pastor anymore, but he used him in other ways to minister and disciple people. Um, But it was as incredible what I saw, the grace of God on my dad's life. And this is why I hope in this church, we all come in with sin, right? We all have sin that we deal with. And I hope that when we come here, you know that this is a place that we're here to help. This is not a place of condemnation. The church is a place that we all have sin. we do want us to repent of sin. Because it breaks your relationship with God, it hurts your relationships with others. But we want to repent. But we want to help one another, right? And so... I know that there's been times in our own marriage we needed help, right? We need help. And I know that if you're married, there's going to be times that you need help. And that this is what the church is about, is to help one another. The reason why is because in ourselves, if we try to do it on our own, what happens? This, Satan deceives us, and we get in our brain all of these thoughts and we, that we haven't taken captive, and he deceives us, and we end up doing things that we wish we wouldn't have done. But as we come together as the church, the body of Christ, we help one another. So even if you're struggling in your marriage, open it up. This is why we have discipleship groups. It's just to open and help one another. This is why I love the discipleship group that I am in. I can share my struggles. They all know that I share them. <laughs> and my sin in my own life, and they help me. Right? Right? And I've seen this with the guys that are in my group right now. We help one another. We need each other, right? And we need times that we need help in marriage, too. And so I hope that you will open that up. It's not the best. And and one of the things it does say on here, the reason why is they want uh, godly offspring. Children who are godly, truly following God. Not just that we, but it's to multiply And our children also, and our children's children, we want them so that the earth will be covered with uh, the glory of God, people who are truly glorifying God. He wants godly offspring. And so the reason why uh, breaking of the covenant of marriage, whether in adultery or in divorce, is because we want godly offspring. It doesn't mean that God can't redeem it. I'm a child who was redeemed. I looked at what happened with my parents. It did. It turned me off. But you know what? God, in his grace and mercy, still called me back, right? And so that's, that's what I love about our church. I love how our church ministers to each other. We all come with stuff, right? There's always things that we all struggle with. They're wrong. They separate us from God. But, they, but we, as a body, come together and we help. So as we think about how to respond today to this message, who you ma- uh, just thinking through what we've applied so far, who you marry matters. We want you to marry someone who's godly. A Christian, but not only just a Christian, someone who claims to be a Christian, but someone who truly is seeking first God's kingdom. Because when you're both seeking that, it's an amazing thing that happens in that. But also... Um, there might be some things that you just need to confess and repent of today. We're going to have a time to respond in a minute. We're going to be standing. One of our major ways that we respond to the word is to worship. But also, we may just need to pray individually there. Or maybe you need to get with your spouse or with somebody else. You may need to f- repent of something, okay? Confess something. Make it right. Um, and the, I'd say on the other side of that, too, maybe you need to forgive, this is one of the greatest lessons I learned about marriage. I know that my spouse will do something wrong. I know that your spouse will do something wrong. Because we're all human. I know that I've done a lot of things wrong, okay? We have to forgive each other. So maybe the response you need today is to forgive your spouse or forgive somebody. We love no matter their response. So love includes forgiving. Just as Christ forgave us, we forgive Others also. And your spouse, I promise you, will mess up big. Not just little, but big. And you will have to forgive. And that is part of marriage. Again, it's this, it's a, it shows the gospel. It shows Christ in the church. Because just like the Israelites kept going astray, right? They kept going astray and God kept calling them back to repent, but also he would go after them. Uh, there's another prophet um, Hosea, do you all know the story of Hosea? His wife goes into um, prostitution and she keeps running away and keeps committing adultery and Hosea keeps going after her. There's, a, there's an old song, Michael Card's song, was, Hosea, you're a fool, you're a fool to love someone like me. But anywhere, I, I know you suffer quietly, but I'm glad that you're a fool. And he just keeps seeking after her. And that's because that's what God does with us. He seeks after us, he forgives us. In the same way, we have to forgive also and keep going after. Even when the other person is doing wrong and is doing bad, we love, we forgive, we keep seeking after. And you may need help. Maybe your marriage is struggling. We're going to have a prayer team over here on the side. Maybe you just need to go to somebody else. Maybe you're in a degrouping, But we want to minister to each other. So in this time of response, the big thing, though, is if you've never received the gospel, if you've never truly trusted what Jesus did on the cross, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. And when it, when it comes time for judgment, you will stand before him, and the only response that you will get is wrath, the wrath of God. And you, and you will get the judgment of hell forever. And so that's the most important thing. If you're here today and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you need to do that. I, and I know that you can sit in church and even claim to be a Christian and not be saved because that was me. As you guys have heard before when I've preached before, I was a preacher's kid. I was a preacher and I wasn't saved. Okay, Because I was trusting in what I did. I, was, I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus died, rose again. But I was trusting in what I did. But then it came a time when I realized that I was a true sinner and that I deserved the wrath of God. And then I trusted, trusted not just believed in, but trusted what Jesus did. That what he did on the, his dying on the cross, being buried, rising again, took away my sin. And that's the trust that we must have. That's true saving faith. That we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. So I don't know what your response will be this morning, but we want you to respond. Maybe in worship, standing and worshiping, maybe in sitting and praying, maybe coming over and talking to the prayer team, maybe you just need to go to somebody and you guys pray, whatever it is we want to you just want. I want the band to go ahead and come up. And we are... Going to stand and we're going to worship the Lord, but you respond as the Lord is placing in your heart. Thank you for listening to the Way Church podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.